fire for them fire for them if you're looking for that 35 bag umbrella and all damn thing there keep it locked with this unomics podcast 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 Yo, what's going on, beautiful people? You're now, of course, locked into this Nomics podcast. I hope you've had a good week so far. Weather's getting a bit shit, innit? Excuse my French. Yeah, it's that time of the year when the weather starts to turn for the worse. All you winter people, oh, I love winter. I hope you're happy with yourself. When we're having them lovely heat waves, now we're stuck with wind and rain. It's pretty pathetic if you ask me. But anyway, we had a fantastic pod last week. Speaking on Benjamin Netanyahu and his government, it was a very interesting one because I broke down the links between Benjamin and Netanyahu, which is the current Israeli prime minister, career prime minister and politician, and actually his empowering somewhat via financial packages and deliberately sabotaging attempts to bring down Hamas due to what he believes was the aim in ensuring that there is only one state in the region, which will be the Israeli state, and there's no two-state solution with Palestine. And I also spoke on his party, which is a coalition with other parties, and the members of his cabinet are some really, really horrid people, and I don't even use that term lightly. So check that out. It gives you great, great information with regards to what is going on in the Gaza Strip, so it's context, so you can kind of evaluate the actions of the prime minister and his party so and his government so far. Now, this week's pod, we're gonna start off with a news section. I'm gonna quickly run through some news off the top of the head, freestyle vibes. And then I'm gonna get into the topic. And we're gonna be speaking about immigration. So we've seen some very, very interesting things this week, right? We've seen um, the guy, Gert, I forgot his surname, the Dutch gentleman who won um, the election. He's probably going to have to make a coalition government if I'm not too, if I'm not mistaken, in Holland. And he is a pretty far right, very, very xenophobic, racist gentleman. He's literally got a video up on Twitter basically saying, say no to Islam. Islam's not our culture. It's a very, 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 very dark times. Um, we've also got the what happened in Ireland, which I'll, st- I'll probably start the pod with. And we get the ONS figures about um, record immigration numbers in the United Kingdom. And obviously we could speak about the um, the Conservative Party's immigration policies and defeats in the Supreme Court. So I'm going to speak on the sentiment of immigration across these countries, well, Ireland and the UK. And I'm going to speak on the numbers. And then we could discuss, is this as much of an issue as advertised. But after this quick ad break, we're going to get into the news. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, it's MXM and listen to the Dysonomics podcast because it's lit. First of all, a quick shout out. Check me out on Instagram if you haven't already, Dysonomics. I've started to be a bit more consistent. I'm dropping videos now and I dropped two videos. One video I dropped was with regards to 
some things that the mainstream media are either ignoring or have not actually looked at for whatever reason. Um, and it's very important for the context of the conflict. And also I dropped a video with regards to the budget and I'm going to start off with the budget. So we had the budget announced on Wednesday. This is where the Chancellor of the Exchequer, which is Jeremy Hunt, the government's money man, speaks on the plan for government spending and taxation. I keep saying budget. It's almost like a, effectively a mini budget because there's two statements. There's the autumn statement, which is what we had. And then there's the spring statement, which is the main budget, which you tend to see the Chancellor come out of 10 Diana Street with a red briefcase. But this is like the mini one. So autumn statement, right? So here are some of the top things that we heard. There was a lot of investment talk. So investing in a country. So there was like money for boosting AI. There was money for businesses to um, to grow. Money for creating four um, new economic zones that's kind of meant to mirror Canary Wharf. There was tax cuts for us. So the main tax cut, I would say, is a tax cut to the employee national insurance. And we pay national insurance tax. Most of us pay at a 12% rate, but they have cut it to 10% and that will be effective of January the 6th instead of April, which is the new financial year in 2024. Um, there was an increase in the national minimum wage to £11.70 something, I think £11.74. And also for self-employed people, there was a, they removed um, the national insurance, which, um, by, which will save you about like 190 odd quid a year. And there's further movements in that to save you about 400 quid a year. Um, those were the main stuff. Um, there, oh, there was also an increase um, of benefits. So universal credit will go up by 6.7% as of uh, April 2024. Um, another, which is in line with um, September inflation. And another interesting nugget is a 8.5% increase to pensions as of April 2024. So those were like the big headlines it, oh, and also if you're in long-term, if you have been long-term unemployed, there's going to be a scheme to mandate you to take up an internship. So here, and I think there was something along the lines of if you are disabled and you have the propensity to work from home, um, you should work from home. If not, you can risk losing um, benefits. So those were some of the headline bits and pieces from the autumn statement. Now, in other key news, we had movements with the issues in Gaza. So there was a truce, a short-term truce, well, ceasefire, shall I say, or humanitarian pause, however you may want to describe it, between Hamas and the IDF. This four to five day period, I believe started on Friday, where the conditions of the deal is that there's a hostage swap. So I believe 50 Israeli hostages, primarily women and children, for 150 Palestinian hostages slash prisoners. For those who don't know, there's about 7,000 Palestinians currently imprisoned by Israel and a significant amount of them, quite a few of them, are under administrative detention. And this is where Israel can arrest you and have you detained for indefinite period without charging you, which is quite obviously traumatic. So we did see scenes of jubilation as families received their loved ones. Uh, there were celebrations on the streets of Gaza, but naturally 
Israelis were firing at the celebrators. Um, we've seen Israeli, I mean, we've seen um, Palestinians trying to get back to the north of Gaza to go back to their homes. One of the terms of the deal was there to be like, like no issues in the whole of Gaza, but Israeli forces were not trying to allow people to go back to their homes. And of course, were firing shots. One person got killed. Um, there was a hiccup in the process where Hamas said they're not releasing the hostages because Israel keep breaking the terms of agreement. So what some of the terms was there was to be no drones flying across, spying on um, spying on the people that was still happening. Another one of the terms was the allowance of aid trucks to come in to provide humanitarian aid, um, which was over like 100 trucks and only three at the time was coming through. And also the there's meant to be a ceasefire and Israeli forces are firing at um, Palestinians celebrating the arrival of their loved ones and hostages slash prisoners, as well as firing at Palestinians trying to get back to their homes in northern Gaza. Thankfully, this got sorted out and we saw hostages exchanged. Now, the next news story I'm going to touch on briefly because it's got a lead into the podcast was a crazy incident that happened in the Dublin city centre. And this is where a man who was hanging around a school in central Dublin launched an attack on eight, on a, on a few kids, five-year-olds, six-year-olds. And a, well, there was a teaching assistant that kind of stood in the way at as a shield. She also got attacked. But thankfully, a, a gentleman that was a like a Brazilian, Brazilian man hopped off his bike with a helmet and fought off the person. Now this this attacker is currently being reprimanded and it's been treated as an isolated incident, not like a terror attack or anything. But this caused mad season island, which we're going to discuss next in the pod. Now, immigration, immigration, immigration. This has been a hot topic, I feel, around Europe, especially in the UK, since the Conservatives took power in 2010. And I'm not going to lie to you, people, my initial thoughts when I see a lot of talk on immigration is, I believe this is used as a vehicle for either governments or far rights and sometimes moderately right factions of the political discourse as a kind of answer to all the problems that are arising in the country, whether economically or just in general disturbance, right? And we're going to start off with Ireland, right? So um, as you as you heard prior, three children in the school care system were injured in a knife attack. A six-year-old girl had injuries in her head. She's now been discharged, thankfully. And another five-year-old boy was discharged on Friday. But unfortunately, a five-year-old girl remains in critical condition along with a teaching assistant in her 30s who was heroic, trying to stop and act as a shield. What an absolute hero. Um, a suspect, a man in his 40s, is currently in hospital and, of course, remains under guard. This attack happened outside a children's school in a city centre. And as I stated prior in the pod, a brave and Brazilian gentleman helped defend and helped stop the attacker. What's quite interesting about this is that this attacker apparently had a knife charge. He was paid in court for a knife charge just five months prior. Um, the people then on the streets are claiming he was an Algerian immigrant and this has caused a ruckus in Dublin. So I'm going to go back in time though because interestingly enough, Irish have quite a interesting 
history with immigration and emigration. The Irish have emigrated in their millions, obviously fleeing for poverty and famine in certain times, and other for their own natural individual reasons. You've seen them reach areas like America, especially in New York, Great Britain, of course, and Australia. Emigration was pretty much quite synonymous with Irish life until probably the last two decades. In the last few decades, obviously with Ireland being in the EU and they're seeing the enlargement to the EU nations, immigration from Brazil, India, Philippines and Nigeria has started to infiltrate Ireland and we're seeing a kind of different, different kind of outlook on immigration somewhat. Ireland isn't like Marie Le Pen in France or Gilt Wilders in Holland or Nigel Farage in the UK in terms of having a significant right-wing anti-immigrant facet. Ireland has memories of immigration and desire to be kind to newcomers. That's a type of culture we see in Ireland, right? However, in recent times, politicians and police, senior politicians that is, have begun to speak of the threat posed by right-wing activists seeking to capitalise on issues in Ireland economically and, of course, with the housing shortage and, and naturally with a general fear for asylum seekers, right? You hear a slogan that Ireland is full and Ireland is for the Irish are, are frequently heard, right? And Thursday's violence wasn't the first time we've seen kind of unrest with regards to migration being on topic. In September, there was far-right protesters where politicians had to be escorted out of parliament buildings by police officers as they blocked entrances and displayed mock gallows. And they had like Irish flags and placards saying, I'm very angry and so on and so forth, right? On Thursday after this happened, people were angry they were protesting and this led to flares, fireworks thrown at police, cars and buses were set alight, even a tram like, if you see the next day, the tram looked bamboozled. It was insane. Like, I'm talking burnt toast, windows smashed. It was crazy. Now, Sky News reported that one of their people on the ground saw people looting Foot Locker store in the city centre during the chaos. People smashing the front of ASIC stores with metal bars. Man were trying to get their drip up, you know. Man were like, I, would, I, I could do some Air Forces or some Jordans or some Air Maxes, boy. Um, rioters attempt to kick and punch police. There were ongoing scuffles, bottles thrown. Like, I think there was like 400 police deployed. And I think at least 34 people arrested. So it was crazy scenes. And obviously the Irish uh, media, I'm not the Irish media, the, the Irish authorities weren't happy. And they believed that the far right have manipulated and, crazed, and created a sense of chaos in the region and blaming immigrant, immigrants for it. Now, I saw Conor McGregor tweet about how this has been an issue. Um, we obviously want good immigrants but we don't even know who's coming to our country and now we're having people come to our country and attack our own, attack our babies, so on and forth. Really like stoking the, flan the, the flames here. But what's also interesting, in my opinion, is like those people were even trying to get at immigration centres allegedly. So we can see a lot of tension in Ireland from the far right people. I might, I might not just be far right people, might not be far right people, but influencing kind of maybe everyday people who are kind of easily... Um, manipulated. So let's look at immigration in Ireland. So I looked at two different sets of data. So initially I looked at UN 
UN numbers, but UN numbers were basically indicating that net, net migration rate for Ireland has been dropping over the last few years. 18% dropped 22% in 22, 18.5% in 21, 15.6% in 2020, 13.5% in 2019. But they kind of have that projections, right? But if we actually look at the Centre for Statistics in, in Ireland, it tells a different it tells a different picture and I think a more accurate one, in my opinion. 141,600 immigrants entered the Republic of Ireland between April 2022 and April 2023. And a significant portion of this were from Ukraine. And this is according to the CSO, Central Statistics Office, right? This is the highest number since 2007, where there was 151,100 um, immigrants entering the United, I mean, sorry, Republic of Ireland. 81,000 of this 1,400 number were from people outside of the EU. And primarily, these are Ukrainian refugees. I'm not sure you remember, there was a big drive to get some Ukrainian refugees into the UK as well as Ireland and other countries, right? The population of the state is now estimated to be about 5.2 million. So there's less people in Republic Ireland as there are in London, with an increase of 97,600, um, which was the record figure 2022. A total of 64 emigrants left Ireland between April 22 and 23, which gives a net migration total of 77,000, right? There was a natural increase of 20,000 people in the state, compromised of 55 births and 35,000 deaths, right? So those, inflation, those immigration numbers are pretty high, but it's mainly from Ukrainian refugees. But what seems to be interesting is that a lot of the talk seems to be to like more Muslim migrants. And I believe there's quite a lot of xenophobia in there. And I'm going to do more research to see how the Irish population, especially the right, have taken in the Ukrainian migrants. Now we're going to talk about the United Kingdom. So we know immigration has been big on the ticket list of the Conservatives since 2010. And with Rishi Sunak, with Boris Johnson, they've been big on immigration with Priti Patel being the Home Office Secretary for um, Rishi Sunak, I mean, for Boris Johnson and uh, Suela Braverman previously for Rishi Sunak and now James Cleverly, who <laughs> interestingly was caught on camera calling a place of residence in in the United Kingdom, a shithole. So he's in trouble for that. So what they've been doing is that they're trying to find ways of curbing immigration. So initially after Brexit, which was 2016, they've signed a Brexit deal back in 2019. And in 2021, they, they kind of really secured their uh, new immigration system, which was the Australian point system. And then with the stop the boats, illegal migrants coming in on sea, we've had the, the Rwanda solution, which of course has been shut down in the Supreme Court and they're trying to find a way around it. Now, let's look at the current numbers. Long-term immigration for the year ending in June. So unlike in Ireland where they measure things from April to April, there's a measurement of things from June to June in the United Kingdom. So year end, so in June 2023, the long-term immigration numbers was 1.2, whilst emigration was 508,000, meaning the net migration was, six, was 672,000. This is the biggest so far, 
This is a record, right? Most people arriving in the UK were actually from non-EU nations. 81% of people arriving in the UK in the last year have been from non-EU nations. 11% have been from EU nations and the rest have been returning British nationals. However, ONS actually predicted that net migration was actually going to be higher by 73,000, but it's still considerably high. We are seeing a slowdown of immigrants with an, with an increase of immigration, but we're going to talk on, on that a bit later. What's interesting is that before COVID, which started off in 20, early 2020, immigration was actually relatively stable and still the Conservatives are quite big on that cancer, handling immigration. And it's grown quite significantly since 2020, January. So net immigration has increased sharply since 2021. Um, this has mainly been due to the rise of non-EU immigration. So we left the EU, we started that process in 2016 to be to take back our borders, have control. But what's interesting is, is the non-EU immigration has gone up and now we are seeing record levels immigration, of immigration, which is quite ironic as we left the EU for partially to control our borders. So humanita humanitarian routes such as Ukraine and British nationals overseas schemes have contributed to a rise of non-EU immigration. There's been an increase in non-EU students and workers. There's been an increase in non-EU immigration driven by migrants coming to work up from 10% to 33%. A lot of this, a lot of these are due to people coming on health, health, healthcare visas. Those arrive, and of course you have people arrive on humanitarian routes have actually decreased from 19% to 9%. 39% of people coming in are due to studying. This really hasn't changed much. Historically, 80% of students coming in to stay typically leave after five years. But recent analysis is starting to show that people are starting to stay more and transition into working visas, which is interesting. Also, there's been a change in people's dependents arriving. If you look at June 2019, dependents account for 6% of non-EU student immigration and 37% of non-EU work immigration. This has increased to 25% of non-EU student immigration and 48% of non-EU work immigration. Very interesting. So now let's focus on immigration to the UK. So there's been changes since 2021 where the freedom of movement between EU nations has now stopped. And of course, as, as that happens in life, there's developments across the world that changes the parameters of things. And of course, the war in Ukraine has obviously had an impact because now we're seeing Ukrainians coming to the UK. The Office of National Statistics state that the provisional estimates provide an early indication that relatively high in levels of immigration is starting to fall. However, um, EU immigration has remained largely flat in recent years, but obviously it's been very different compared to 2016. In 2016, EU nationals made up 63% of total immigration compared to 11% now, which is super interesting. Now let's look at immigration out of the UK or immigration. Non-EU nationals count for 39% of immigration, whilst EU nationals account for 42% of immigration and British account for 18%. So percentage-wise, we're seeing more Brits leave, more EU nationals leave, and less non-EU nationals stay. And obviously we've had stuff like the HGV uh, driver issue where there's a shortage of HGV drivers. And that was because quite a few of them since COVID have left and not come back. And they're actually, in my opinion, is actually, we actually need a lot of them. We'll get into that later. 
So let's look at net migration as a whole, which is what really counts. The total number of people coming in minus total number of people going out. The last two years has shown record levels of net migration. It's higher than it was in 2022, but of course less than estimates. This downward trend that the ONS mentioned is kind of too early to say, but it is, showing, it is signaling a decrease in immigration along with more and more people leaving you, the UK. What has driven the change in the non-EU migration is actually the change in the immigration system, right? Over the last, like, if you look at non-EU immigration arriving for work, that counts for 33%, another 39% for study and 9% for humanitarian reasons. Over the last year, net migration increased by 65,000. This is because of positive of net migration of non-EU nationals, while EU nationals and British nationals, net migration was negative. So we're seeing people leave the UK and we see more people leave the UK in terms of EU members and British people in terms of enter the UK. And it's non-EU nationals that are really driving this number upwards. Before COVID-19, net migration of EU nationals was positive. And as I said, it changed. Net migration was negative in 2023, but less than it was in 2022, which was a net positive. Also, asylum. And this is super interesting because asylum gets the biggest talk. Rwanda, stop these boats, stop these boats, human trafficking, so on and so forth. The Home Office indicates that about 90,000 emigrated in terms of long, looking for long-term long -term asylum in June 2023, right? This is an increase of 15,000. Home Office indicates that 90% of small boat arrivals, so 40,386 claimed asylum or recorded as dependent on asylum application. So in terms of the small boats, only 10% are kind of escaping the system in terms of being able to track them, right? People who arrived in the UK as asylum seekers made up 1% of non-EU emigration, right? So asylum seekers don't tend to leave. They tend to want to stay and they're probably coming here for a reason, right? So it was super interesting to me that the asylum numbers are nowhere near, well, it's significant, 90,000 is a lot, but the, the rhetoric makes it seem like it is just like a wave, like uh, Swell above them and called it like a hurricane of them coming through, right? When reality is the majority of people coming to this country are coming in to work or study, and the reality is the country actually needs them in my opinion. We have the highest tax burden in such a long period of time. We have people live longer than they ever have. So the, the longer the people live and the older they get, the more dependent they are on the state because obviously pensions, benefits, and of course, they're going to use public services like the NHS. You need enough working age adults to be able to pay for this and still be net, mic um, still be net contributors to the government in terms of taxation, tax tax receipts. You want your workers to be able to take to give more to give more to society than take out in terms of benefits, welfare, so on and so forth. And I'm discussing it today with my with my good friend Dr. Lee. And we're talking about how this is just unsustainable. It's either we have bare immigrants coming in and working and contributing to the economy, or 
we start moving Rago. And when I say moving Rago, I mean we get rid of um, the state pension and people have to get private pensions. And if you've got bare money in your pension or you've got bare assets, you don't get state pension at all. So I'm talking about get rid of public, public pension for people that have peace. Elderly people who actually have lots of money in their house should sell their house to sustain themselves instead of relying on the state. I'm not saying they should do this, but if you, we can't go on like this, it's either we have immigrants to come in to pick up the slack or we have these drastic measures. Because think about it, some elderly people bought their house for like 60 grand, 70 grand, 120 grand, and then their, their house might be now worth 600, 700, 800, even millions. And remember, if it is your main residence, you don't pay capital gains tax. The only time you'll pay tax on it is if it's inheritance tax. So if you bought your house for like 80 grand, for example, and, it, and you sold it for 800 grand, you made 720 grand profit, right? If he's your main residence, you're paying zero tax on it. So you have made a wealth increase of 720 grand and you've paid zero tax. It's, un- it's, unearned, it's unearned wealth that's been untaxed. Because you haven't done anything, you just had a house. You haven't, you haven't facilitated any sort of economic activity. And that's unfortunately how the cookie crumbles. So yeah, people, let me know what you think. On immigration, man, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna try and shoot a video for it this week, but it's gonna be more of the political aspect of it, like how we're seeing a rise of anti-immigration and looking at the reasons for it and how bad they are. So look out for that. Obviously, Instagram underscore no underscore numbers on Twitter and this numbers on Instagram. And yeah, on to the next episode. Peace. Bow. Sports Social Podcast Network.